I rejoice greatly in the Lord. I exalt my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and wrapped me in the robe of righteousness. As a groom wears a turban and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For the earth produces its growth and as garden enables what is sworn to spring up. So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all nations. I will not keep silent because of Zion and I will not keep still because of Jerusalem. Until her righteousness shines like a bright light and her salvations like a flaming torch. Nations will... See your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be given a new name that the Lord's mouth will announce. You will be a glorious crown in the Lord's hand and a royal diadem in the palm of your God's hand. You will no longer be called deserted and your land will not be called desolate. Instead, you will be called my delight is in her and your land married for the Lord delights in you and your land will be married for as a young man marries a woman, so your sons will marry you. And as a groom rejoices over his bride, so God will rejoice over you. Amen. Long, we're going to be in Isaiah 61.10. Isaiah 61.10, if you want to follow along as we, as we uh, go through uh, this chapter. So I, I had an interesting experience uh, over the past month or so. Uh, now, it's, it's customary that our church uh, celebrates Advent. It's like the season before Christmas. It's the season of preparing to, to remember and recognize that, that Christ has, has come. Uh, but I found myself in this year uh, really needing some more hope. So, so Advent had a deeper meaning for me this year because I was like, man, I, I need some good news. I need some hope. I, I need something to, to, to warm my heart. And God has was, was been gracious to do that. But I don't know if you've ever had, went through an experience and then the experience happened and it felt anticlimactic. You're like, oh, we did the thing, you know? Uh, you know, so, sometimes, sometimes, I'm being honest, sometimes Christmas feels like that. It's like, Christmas, Christmas, December 25th, all right, move on, you know. <laughs> but but what's, what's interesting, you ever heard that song, The 12 Days of Christmas? For the longest time, I was like, what is he talking about? Like, there's one, right? Uh, but traditionally, uh, the church has celebrated Christmas for 12 days. That's where he, he didn't just make that up. And I was like, I like that. I'm going to celebrate it some more. Merry Christmas, okay? We're going we'll to continue saying it because I need this word of good news and I need it continually. And it actually shows our need for a continual good word from God that we always need to hear what he is saying. And this word from God today is especially meaningful to me because of the rich truth that is in it. You know, we need good news because sometimes we feel deserted and desolate, as it says in Isaiah 62.4. This idea of, of often we, we might feel abandoned. I'm sure some of you have felt that this year where you've asked the question, where is God? Maybe you haven't said it uh, verbally, but you've, you've had emotions that, that were like, what is he doing? Where is he at? I, 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 I can't quite see what he's doing. Or maybe you've had the thought, where is my support? Where is my system of support in which I need? I feel abandoned. Or maybe it, you, you could feel a sense of fruitlessness, this idea of being desolate. 
You ever got to the end of the day and ask yourself, what did you accomplish that day? I'm like, man, what did I do today? I didn't been there. I guess I'm sorry. Uh, but, but I'm like, man, what happened? What, what happened? Like sometimes we can have seasons of life where we're like, am I even, am I accomplishing the stuff that I want to accomplish? And the reality is sin and suffering can make us feel this way. Now, I think the church has done a pretty good job talking about sin, but I don't think we always talk about suffering well enough. But the reality is suffering can make us feel shame. This idea of feeling like we've been discarded, particularly when the suffering is the result of someone else's sin against you. It can make you doubt your worth. Like, who do you think I am? You know, I, I, have you ever just, you know, I've, I've watched these shows where they've, they have like rescue dogs and stuff like that. And when they first meet the dog, the dog's all scared. It's holding his head down and you, you know, they'll try to reach out to pet the dog and the dog will do all. What, what is happening? This dog has been so mistreated that it doubts its worth and it, it, it has issues trusting other people. There can be seasons of life where we have been so beat down by suffering, are so offended because of the sins of others that we actually doubt our worth and the goodness that can be in other people. It's not only suffering, there's sin. It can make us feel guilt. We feel like our mistakes follow us. I don't know about you, but but sometimes I can feel as though the word sinner is just written across my head. And if I were to look at God, the thing that he would notice about me the most is the fact that I have sinned. Or maybe it's that I'm around people who I think are uh, further down the Christian journey and and, and the, the depths of my heart. I'm like, ah, man, if they really knew what I've been doing. So what is God's word to the one who feels desolate, to the one who feels deserted? That's what we're going to look at today. The word is that God sends his servant to comfort his people. Look at verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. I exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness as a groom wears a turban and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Now, the question is, who is the I? Who's rejoicing? Who who is this I? See, if, if you were to look at the context of Isaiah 61, it would talk about this servant that God would send who will proclaim good news to the poor. In Jesus' first recorded sermon, he quotes Isaiah 61 to the people and says, Today, this has been fulfilled. In other words, the I who was speaking is none other than Christ Jesus. So what what has Christ Jesus come to do? What, What is he talking about in this verse? It shows that the Lord is preparing Christ for the work that he has to do. We can see Christ rejoicing in God and in the preparation of the work of salvation. Now, let me tell you what was was really good news. Something that might kind of boggle your mind. If, If you look in the scriptures, you'll see this dynamic love between the father and the son. The father loves the son and the son loves the father. And there's this love that exists within God. This is why this is good news. Love is not contingent on humanity because it existed before humanity was created in the relationship between God the father and God the son. And this rejoicing continued in the earthly life of Jesus. He rejoiced in this eternal love 
while he was on, on earth. And in reality, love fuels obedience. You, you, don't, you don't like try to listen to people who offend you. Matter, matter of fact, you'd be like, I'm going to do the opposite of what you said because I don't like you that much. But the reality is that Jesus Christ understood the love of the Father so much that obedience flowed out of him. And he prepared for the work that he had to do. Now, what was the preparation? His preparation was his holy life. Remember, it says, he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and wrapped me in the robe of righteousness. Now, that might not seem like hard work, being holy. But spend one day and try to be holy. (laughs) It's hard. Okay, listen, Jesus consistently said no to evil and yes to good. And he did that out of love for the Father, but he did that also in preparation for the work that he had to do. He did this in the small and in the large things. You know, what really trips me up, I'm going to be honest, is like the small stuff. When somebody says something, I'm like, you know, I'll snap back real quick. And then immediately I'm like, oops. I'm sorry. You know, like, like I, I can't imagine the type of work and focus that it had to take for Jesus Christ to consistently walk out holiness and all the minute details of this life. But he did it in preparation for the work that he had to do. It talks about how the, the father, he, he delights in Christ Jesus, that, 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 that he, he robes him like a groom wears a turban or a bride adorns herself with jewels. Like, you know, when somebody first gets engaged, what do they walk around like? You know, <laughs> like, this is how the father feels about Christ Jesus, how he loves and delights in him. You can see this chiefly in the baptism of Christ. I don't know if y'all remember, you know, John the Baptist baptizes Christ Jesus. The heavens open up. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And what does the Father say? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is the preparation, this preparation of rejoicing in God, of saying no to evil and yes to good. And it's crazy that one of the preparations is him being secure in the Father's love. Now, now, what is this servant? What has Christ come to do? We can see in the text that God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up through the servant. Look at verse 11. For as the earth produces growth and as a garden enables what is sown to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all nations. What he's saying is the result of the work that Christ is going to do will result in righteousness and praise being, being sown and, and, and coming to fruition in all nations and all peoples. Beloved, this is the opposite of deserted and desolate. One praises, one rejoices someone that they experience. So it's not that they are distant from the Lord and and God calls righteousness fruit, that they actually will produce good things that would remain. And listen, as sure as grass grows, the Lord will cause this growth in his people. I don't know about y'all, but my yard got a lot of weeds. I'll be fighting them weeds, okay? It don't really matter what I do, it's just going to pop up again. I don't have to make it grow. It, it just happens. Okay, so as surely as grass grows... That's how sure that God will produce righteousness in his people through what Christ has done. 
Listen, we're often afraid that the Lord will not accomplish what he began in us. But this shows that we place the weight of our own spiritual growth on ourselves. It's not that the righteousness will grow as surely as you try hard. No, 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 no. The Lord will accomplish what he began in you. Not only this, we can see that, that Christ is zealous for his people's salvation. Look at 62, verse 1. I, remember the I, the I is Jesus. I will not keep silent because of Zion, and I will not keep still because of Jerusalem until her righteousness shines like a bright light and her salvation like a flaming torch. Nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. This shows that Jesus has zeal. For God's people. Now, zeal is not one of them everyday words that we use, okay? You're not like, hey, that person is zealous. Cool, all right. You know, what, what is zeal? Now, this is the Will Broaddus definition, okay? I think zeal, what it means is it's a violent passion. So you remember there's a story when Jesus cleaned the temple where he cleared people out. He made a whip. He's like, get up out of here. Y'all tripping? The disciples looked at him and said, man, that reminds me of the scripture. It says that the zeal of the Lord will consume him. Get it? <laughs> That's zeal. That is zeal in action. It's, it's kind of like, you know, how when, uh, when, when a child is in danger and mamas get that, like, mother bear strength. You know, maybe, maybe the, you know, you've ever heard a story where the mom lifts the car up? That's zeal. That's its passion that causes you to act intensely. This is the passion that Christ has for his people. He has a violent passion for your good. Beloved, this is good news. God will make his people shine with righteousness. He's saying he's going to do a work in you that is so intensely that, that, that no one will be able to avoid the work that he has done. That, that God will make you un unbelievably righteous. See, our growth in Christ is sure because of his zeal, not our own. When Christ names you as his own, he applies his zeal to protect you and to make you grow. That means that your confidence does not have to be in how well you did that day or the last week. That your confidence is in the consistent zeal of Christ Jesus to protect you and to produce fruit in you. I'm sorry I'm getting a little excited. This is good news today. Listen, Christ will boast in his people. Look at the, the latter half of verse 2. You will be given a new name that the Lord's mouth will announce. You will be gl a glorious crown in the Lord's hand and a royal diadem in the palm of your God's hand. It's saying that Christ will give you a new identity. Now, some of us, we have things about our past or even our present that you wish to just put away from you. I wish I didn't remember when I did that. I wish that could just go away. See, Christ doesn't call you as your sins deserve. He doesn't call out the name of your sin when he looks at you. He gives you a completely new identity. Not only is it like, this, this trips me out. You will be something that the Lord delights in and wants to show off. My people will be a crown in my hand. It's, it's, like, it's like a kid who gets an awesome uh, Christmas present. This just happened. What do they do? Look at, do y'all see that? Do you see what I got? It's like me when I posted this shirt on Instagram. I was like, I like this shirt. I got it for Christmas. Okay, you get it? Like when you have something you like, you're like, do you see the thing that I have? This is how Christ feels about you. 
he's not something, you're not something that he pushes away. He says, go sit over there until you feel, get better. No, beloved, he is, he rejoices over you. It continues, he says, you will no longer be called deserted and your land will not be desolate. Instead, you will be called my delight is in her and your land married for the Lord delights in you and your land will be married. So again, he's not going to label you the results of your sin. He's not going to label you the effects of your suffering. But he will delight in you. It says your land will be married. It's, 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 it's a, a picture of a marriage covenant. That, that God is going to make a covenant, a promise toward you. Now listen, we live in a fallen world. Marriages don't always last. Marriages are full, full of brokenness and sin. But beloved, the one who does not lie said, I will make a covenant with you, a covenant that's unbreakable. This is what God is doing. And since that he will rejoice over his people. Look at verse 5. For as a young man marries a young woman, so your sons will marry you. And as a groom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Y'all get that? God will rejoice over you as a groom rejoices over his bride. Now, there's photographic evidence of what I did when my bride walked down the aisle. I did what you call the ugly cry. My sister's like, yes, you did. No, it was, it was real ugly. It was an ugly cry. Okay. But what was I thinking in that moment? I was like, oh, the one whom I love is here. I get to spend my life with her. She's so, I just love her so much. I cannot believe this is going to be true. But this scripture says that that's how God feels when he looks at you. He doesn't begrudgingly come to you. He doesn't serve you out of obligation. He is so satisfied with you. He loves you. Now, it's interesting. If you look at the text, if you pay really t- attention, if you look at the verbs, they're all future tense. He will, he will, he will. So the question is, okay, well, when? <laughs> when, when will these things happen? Because it, it, does it not sound nice? Be cool if that happens soon, yeah. You know, <laughs> when is this going to happen? Now, remember from the first, first verse we read that, that remember God's delight in Jesus, the work that he did was to remove sin and shame far away from you through his death and resurrection. See, the, the garments of salvation and righteousness that Christ earned by his obedience through his life and his death and his resurrection, he gives to all those who are in him. If you could think about the, the righteousness of Christ, the beauty of what he has done as a, as a, as a piece of clothing that he, that, clothes that he worked very hard to create. And then you come to him with some jacked up clothes and he says, let me give you the clothes off of my back. Beloved, the promises in this text are true right now for all those who are in Christ Jesus. So right now, if you are in Christ, God sees you as righteous. That satisfaction that the father has with the son, if you're in Christ, he has that same satisfaction for you 
Not, not years from now, right now. Beloved, this is the struggle of faith to believe his word is true. I know you didn't live righteous yesterday, but I'm telling you, if you are in Christ, he takes the filthiness of your sins and gives you his clothes of righteousness. That is what the doctrine of justification is about. That he makes us right before God. Not only that, right now, he is causing righteousness to spring up in you. Look, 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 look. I, I ain't where I want to be, but I ain't who I was. Okay? I don't make the same decisions that I used to make. I don't have the same desires as I used to make. Who did that? He did it. He is the one who causes righteousness to spring up in you and me. He is the one who is in charge of your sanctification right this moment. Beloved, some of you might even have a sense of guilt that hangs over your head, but it might just be the Lord bringing you conviction so that he can produce righteousness. I want you to see the initiative that he takes to justify us and then not only to justify us, but then to produce the good fruits of righteousness in us. Beloved, he is doing that right now. Not only that, right now, our Lord boasts in you. Remember that text? He will, like, look at what my people have done. You're like, well, I don't know, I don't know. Listen, one of my favorite stories is uh, it's, uh, in, in the book of Acts. There's a, the first deacon, one of the first deacons, his name is Stephen. All right, Stephen, it says he was a man who was powerful in the Holy Spirit. He preached God's word, and he developed enemies because of that. And there was a day when the enemies of the gospel came to him and they began to accuse him, falsely accuse him of many things, and, and, they, and they began to kill him. They began to stone him. And there's, there's this phrase that happened. It says that, that when he was being stoned, when he was about to die, he looked up and he says, I see the Lord Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, we say the Apostles' Creed. What is Jesus doing at the right hand of God? He's sitting, okay? Now, listen, listen. I don't know if you've ever been to a football game, all right? All right, and everybody's chill, right? Now let somebody score a touchdown. <laughs> oh, what? Listen, the Lord Jesus Christ stood up with pride as he looked at the obedience of his servant, Stephen. Beloved, when we make small and large steps of obedience, that is his demeanor towards us. That he swells with pride over us. God is proud of our moments of rejecting sin and pursuing him. Right now, you have a new identity. The scripture says that you are adopted into God's family. That's how you get the new name. The name doesn't have the baggage that your family might have. The name has all the merits of Christ Jesus. You have a new identity. And beloved, right now, he rejoices over you. That when God looks at you, he has a sense of both longing and satisfaction. Remember as the groom sees his bride on the wedding day, there's like a longing, oh, she's coming, but also I'm satisfied that she's here. Like, this is awesome. We have to get rid of the false views of him that are harsh and stern. God doesn't just look down his nose at us. He doesn't say, do better. He says, I'm pleased. I'm pleased. And I rejoice over you. 
This is the God that celebrates you and throws a party for you when you get home. Beloved, this is our God. He rejoices over us now. Listen, this is the best news. This is beautiful news. Now, I'm sure this week you're going to hear news that's not so awesome. But, beloved, we have to keep this news. When we want to tell a different story, when other people want to tell us a different story about how God feels about us, we say, no, but we have a word. And the word says he rejoices over me. Beloved, this, if you get this, if you get this, this changes your, your walk with God. That it's a walk of delight, not of demand. So what do we do with that? <laughs> how do, how do, what, what, what does this mean for everyday life? I, I'll, I'll submit to you this. This transforms the habits of grace into opportunities to experience God's delight. Now, if you've been in church a while, you're like, well, I should pray, and I should read, and I should fellowship, and you know, the list of stuff that you feel like you're supposed to do. And when you look at those things, you think, oh, man, I guess I just have to do it. I guess it's just something that I'm supposed to do. No, no, if God delights in me, those times of prayer and reading and fellowship are opportunities for him to express his delight to me. It's not that I do this harsh work and I'm like, I hope you're, hope you're happy. No, no. These are streams and avenues in which God conveys his love to me. So when I, when I get up and, and when I read the scriptures, I'm not checking a, boss, uh, checking a box. I'm saying, God, I'm here. I'm here. And you told me you delighted me. You told me you gave, gave me a new identity. And I, I want to remember that. Beloved, when, when I pray, I'm not, I'm not trying to earn something. I'm saying, no, the God who has done all these things for me in Christ Jesus, he wants to commune and be with me. He wants to express his delight in me. Beloved, we can look at these opportunities to experience God's grace, not as works that achieve something, but as me sitting and enjoying what God has done. So listen, when I, when, I, when I talk to people, I'm saying, I want you to, to, to exercise these disciplines of reading the scripture and of praying and, and of fellowshipping with other believers. It's, it's not simply because I want you to do something. It's because there is an experience of God's grace that you leave on the table if you do not. You want to be assured of his rejoicing over you? Then be with him and he will assure you by his spirit. Beloved, this is why we seek him so that not that we can earn anything, so that we can experience what he's already given us. You know, in, in the text, it talks about how, like, he wants to show us off, right? I got this awesome diadem. Who got this diadem? I don't know what a diadem. No, a diadem is a crown. But the idea is this, like, he's got this awesome thing, and he wants to show everybody. You're like, how does that even work? I, Jesus echoes this in Matthew 5, 16. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works. And give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, this is not a call for you to take a picture of every good thing you do and put it on social media. That's not what it's saying. <laughs> That's not what it's saying. But listen, we all have avenues and responsibilities through which we can show God's goodness 
through our faithfulness to the responsibilities that we have. It's not about somebody across the world glorifying God because of what you did. It's about your neighbor. How do you serve your neighbor? How do you love him or her well? How do you serve and love your family well? How do you serve and love your church well? This is the way that God shows off his glory. Now, one more thing. Now, it's interesting that he said that his people would be like a crown or a diadem. What's a crown? It's a symbol of, of royalty. It's a symbol of his authority. Now, we ask in the Lord's Prayer, let your kingdom come. We want your kingdom to come. We want your influence to be here. Listen, when we walk in obedience to him, we are representatives of his kingdom. And his kingdom is coming in that moment to that situation. You want God's reign to be available to people? You want to see him do something? Then walk in obedience to him, and you will be a symbol of his authority and reign to those around you. Beloved, he has saved us to delight in us, and he has saved us to expand the goodness of his kingdom. And beloved, that's the news that we remember. Your God delights in you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. This is news better than I could even make up. I thank you that, that you love us, that you delight in us, that you have given us uh, clothes of, of righteousness. Lord, you have taken care of every need and then some. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be people who know in the depths of our hearts that our God delights in us and that we would trust in you to continue to work your righteousness in our hearts so that we can display your glory in the everyday stuff of life. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Amen. Amen.